Welcome to Stories from the Center of the Universe, the podcast about the human experience. Laura Collin-Bell Marshall, welcome to Stories from the Center of the Universe. Really happy to have you. Thanks for having me. I guess we should start with how we know each other. Yeah. We, we met at the University of Virginia. That's right. Probably the finest school in the world. The finest, the university. The university. We don't even need to say Virginia. Yeah, I, I, how, how dare I even, <laughs> even make the assumption that the audience wouldn't know. Yeah. Yeah, so we met each other a long time ago, and we're also connected through uh, one of your sisters who married a guy that I served in the military mm-hmm. with. Yeah, so it's a, and also through your your company, who I do some work oh, for. Yeah, yes. Um, so yeah, lots of different points of reference, I would say. So I, I, let's start with how you grew up. You're one of five girls. You're the fourth of five. Right. What, what was it like growing up in an Irish Catholic house with five girls running around? Well, I was born on my dad's 30th birthday. And, you know, my dad, my mother was 20, barely 28 years old, with her pregnant with her fourth child. And, you know, I was born on my dad's 30th birthday. At that, in those days, they didn't know, you know, boy or girl. So my mom, being the good Catholic who had prayed really hard, was convinced that I was going to be a boy. And I mean, she was. There couldn't be any other answer, right? No, she you was determined. Like, my dad's 30th birthday. She already has three girls. So, um, they, in fact, it was. She was so convinced that I was going to be my father's, you know, junior that they didn't even have, like, names picked out for me if I was a girl. Just junior. We knew you were going to be a junior. And, yeah. um, and so, if if my sisters are all named after saints, except for me, <laughs> so my name is like a lot of other people born in 1969 is Laura, and I don't know if you know why that's such a popular name. I don't. The movie Doctor Shivago. Ah, okay. So, I think my mom was and my dad were so taken aback that I was a boy that they didn't actually name me right away. And when my father's father came to the hospital to visit. Who, is, who was an immigrant who had immigrated from Germany and, and my dad's mother immigrated from Ireland, they let him name me because I, I don't know if they were just like disappointed or what. They were so bummed out. They were just like, well, like, you yeah, can you pick do a name. It. And he had seen that movie and that's where I got my name. So wait a minute. There, there are lots of uh, female saints, right? So it wasn't like they ran out of saint name no. possibilities. In fact, we all, all five of us are named, have a middle name or first name of Anne. St. Anne. Ah. Um, and the reason for that is because my dad's sister, Anne, was at the time a nun. And so to honor her and and That's some serious Saint Anne, honor, yeah. So my name is Laura Ann, and my sister is Anne Michelle, and I have a sister named Elizabeth Ann and Catherine Ann. Catherine Ann, yeah. And then, I mean, you know, I feel like my mom just kind of like lost any creativity. It was just like... <laughs> Another, like, like nowadays people really agonize over like names and you, you know, you've got all these unique, incredible names, but for my parents, it was just like, let's call her Anne. Is, is Anne the oldest? Anne, the, the one that's named Anne is the youngest. Is the youngest. Yeah. So there are four girls in a row that have the middle name Anne. Well, there's Elizabeth Anne. My second sister is named after my mother, Patricia Marie. Oh, got it. Okay. And then I have Catherine Anne, Laura Anne. <laughs> and Michelle, it's like, who's that boxer that named all their kids after George uh, Foreman? George Foreman, right? Yeah. It's like we're the George Foreman. It's family. very similar. Yeah, <laughs> the Catholic version of that. So, when when did your mom stop trying? Was it before uh, Katie or before? So, you? the funny thing is, my mom did go on to have another 
child and, and then with my youngest sister, who was four years later than me, um, there were some complications and she couldn't have more, any more children after that. Mm. But from my sister to my, through the, the span amongst the five of us is about seven and a half years. Oh, wow. Five kids. And so, so the oldest sisters are actually less than a year apart. Um, and it kind of goes on from there. Yeah. And so um, what's really funny is my mom was so young and, you know, very proud. And she, I, we, we kind of came up with this theory in retrospect that um, when you look at pictures of myself growing up, um, my sisters all have matching dresses and, um, you know, long hair and bows. And then I always had like a super short pixie haircut. And my mom would literally dress me like a boy. Why is that? Well, I never really kind of understood. I was like, what the, <laughs> the other four look very similar. Right. And so my kids are always like, they make a joke. They're like, oh, cousin, who is that cousin? That's cousin Larry. Because I was like, my mom's, dr- I mean, literally oh. I would have like side swept bangs, a mustard yellow turtleneck and a plaid blazer. Were you a tomboy naturally? or? I mean, I didn't even have a chance to... This would be, my mom was ahead of her time because she was literally like pushing me into like a gender, you know, that wasn't my one assignment. But what I found out was that, you know, because they had sort of willed me to be a boy and I wasn't a boy and my mom would not like it when people would say, oh, you poor thing, you know, you all these girls, you know. So I think she just figured for a short time, Hmm. she would just kind of pass me off as a boy and kind of get people off of her back. And she was only 20 something years old at the time. So you were the pretend boy. I was the, and it it sort of stuck because I have in many ways become my father's, you know, sex, like sort of substitute for a son. I had no idea. Yeah. So I am a lawyer, just like my dad. I went into law enforcement, just like my dad. I mean, it was a, it was a manifestation of, you know, they, but, but that is true. So then when I actually, only recently accused my mom i said did, did is it i have this theory that you dress me like a boy so that people wouldn't pity you and say you don't oh you poor thing you never had a boy right and then she she took a real like pause and didn't immediately deny it <laughs> i thought oh my like, god i may be onto something i cannot here. believe you and then it was like she did and then she sort of started laughing and she said absolutely not but i knew so my whole life i Growing up, I was mistaken for a boy. Wow. Including... Well, you say your whole life. What age did well, that Well, not my whole life. Anything? My whole young life. Yeah, yeah. This went on until, um, I guess, I my sisters intervened and tried to help me. <laughs> because I, 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 you, I know you're married to a Catholic, but yes. back in those days, like, if you, they would have, like, the, you know, you take the collection of money. And it was only supposed to be boys that would help do that. And um, I had been asked a couple times, <laughs> much to my horror. And so this went on for, and then I just went, and then it kind of went from there into, okay, my mom's not dressing me like a boy anymore, but I have now entered the full, like, horribly awkward middle school years. Yeah. And literally, my sisters kind of had an intervention. With mom and with, you? Well, because I had, you? I had, um, by eighth grade, I had headgear and neckgear. Remember that? Oh, yeah. I wore both. Wow. And I had a bad perm and a Dorothy Hamill haircut, <laughs> some acne, and a little bit on the chubby side. And my sister 
my oldest sister was like the homecoming queen. Right. And the guilt was just too much for her to bear that she had been given all this, you know, natural beauty and, and her here's her poor sister. So when my mom went to test me for um to see if I needed glasses, she like broke out her piggy bank and was like, I'll pay, I'll pay for the contacts, you know, like to please let her do something for this girl. And so, um, but that was, you know, that was my formative years. And I actually, you know, I look at like the way my daughter and other young women, you know, deal with pressure and social media and all these images of like girls and beauty and, you know, and, um, I, I, I don't regret that. Because I actually feel like it really helped me to kind of hone a sense of humor. Yeah. Right? To sort of, I had to find a way to deal with, you know, being made fun of and picked on. And because that definitely was part of my, you know, eighth, middle school and early, maybe going into high school experience was just like people making fun of you and giving you a hard time. And so I just learned to be, you know, you to diffuse that with humor. Yeah. You learn to cope. Yeah. Uh, you learn to manage it. Yeah. Because you had to. Right. And I mean, the things that my daughter deals with now, as tough as they are, you know, I'm just like, gosh, you know, what we, what I went through before all of the things that, you know, they, they it was just, it was, it was, it was, uh, it, it, I think kids have a lot more, a much difficult, more difficult time now. But I also think like what went on when we were in high school was pretty bad, but I think people were just had more of a natural ability to be resilient. And right. I, and I always had my sisters, they always had my back and, you know, we were kind of a, um, you know, you mess with one, you mess with all yeah. of us. So there were, there were multiple times when, I mean, I, my sisters were intervening, you know, with the bullies and coming down and taking care of business for good, me. Good, good big sisters. <laughs> yeah. That's great. So, so you're the fourth, but the fifth one, were your parents expecting a, another, a boy for the fifth one? Um, and I think that at that point they'd kind of figured, this no, is no. going to be a boy. I mean, this is going to be a girl. A girl, yeah, um, yeah. And so, you know, I, I don't know. It, I think my mom was just such, in such a state of just like trying to manage with all these kids that, you know, it was just sort of like getting her, her here. And then, you know, from there, my she was born. My oldest sister kind of always had her on her hip. And, you right. know, we, we definitely were left to our own devices. I don't remember my mom, like, you know when I think about the way that I parent my kids now and there's bath time and bath toys and scheduled my, prepared. Right. My mom's like bath. Everything is utilitarian in my family. It was just like food was made in a way that was, you know, as my brother-in-law likes to say, no love in my mom's cooking. It was just like <laughs> half a potato, big hunk of beef. Um, We're not naming the brother-in-law. No, it was Mike. He definitely, he's a, there's, there's, he calls, everybody calls my mom Mrs. C and they, and he always says, there's no love in Mrs. C's cooking. She makes a mean lasagna, um, which I know you appreciate. Sure. Being married to a good Italian. Yes, I um, But uh, my mom did everything kind of like, you know, it was just sort of like, you know. It was functional. Super functional. It just he, needed he never, to work. My dad literally installed a timer on the hot water and rigged it so that we had one shower that all five of us shared and there was a finite amount of hot water. And if, if you didn't get hot water on that particular day, then you were taking a cold shower. Yeah. And it was like literally like maybe three minutes a person. I'm not kidding. I mean, he figured it out. He figured out how to do that. Wow. Where'd you grow up? Um, so 
we were born my I was born in Atlanta, which huh. is which is really funny because I, I always sort of identify with my northeast roots and being second generation, but I did I was born in the South and I lived there for all of two months because my dad was in the FBI and we moved around, you know, all the time. So my oldest sister was born in New Haven where both of my parents are from. Then within less than a year, Trish was born in Houston. Mm. Katie and I were both born in Atlanta. And then shortly after I was born, I moved to Miami and lived there for eight years. And that's where Anne was born. And then by the time we went back to Connecticut for a short time, um, while my dad was um, teaching in Quantico Mm. in the legal unit. And then we came to Northern Virginia. And from there, we didn't have to move because he was able to take different assignments and just commute. So he worked... On the Hill, he worked in Tyson's Corner, he worked in Baltimore, Hyattsville, you know, and he would, he, God love him, he would commute so that we didn't have to move. We could all, you know, go to the same school. Especially high school. Yeah. Yeah. And, he, and they wanted to, we, we started out at Catholic school and then they were planning to put us in Catholic school when we came to Northern Virginia, but they couldn't find a Catholic school that could take all of us. Really? Right. Yeah. Some Catholic schools are huge, though. But right? the, there was, the enrollment was high there, and you know, then it, there, there just wasn't one Catholic school that would be able to take like had space in every grade. Right. So we ended up. That's how we ended up at Fairview, and then Robinson, Robinson Rams. Okay. So, um, yeah. So, where do you uh, consider yourself from? I always tell people my parents where my parents are from. Yeah. Because I don't feel like I'm. I mean, I I grew up. I say my parents are from both from New Haven. I you know went grew up in mostly in Northern Virginia, but in terms of like home base and where my extended family's from, all of them, all of that is you know Connecticut. So you, you consider yourself my grandparents were in Connecticut, and yeah, so mm-hmm. several generations Connecticut. Or no, at least a actually, my because my my dad's mom came over from oh, Ireland. How you said that, yeah. And my dad's father came over from Germany. They met at some sort of like Catholic mixer type deal. That's how Catholics meet, right? Could bear my 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 grandfather um, came over through Ellis Island, and then um, and they have some incredible stories. And then my my mom's mother um, came over. Her family's from Italy, and I don't know if her parents were born there. I believe her parents were both born in Italy, and then she was like one of 11 kids, and mm. her and her youngest sister maybe were the two that were born. I know that they, that she was born in the States, but I only recently found out that, um, you know, I, her name she went by was Camille, and I named my daughter after her. Nice. But um, I always thought that her middle name was Crucificia, but it actually was her first name. So oh, her wow. parents named her Crucifix. That's, uh, that's a lot. <laughs> No, I know. It's, it's it's telling the world really dedicated to the whole notion. I mean, I'm assuming that's what that means, but I mean, it's it's got to mean that Italian, right? yeah. So I mean, that's a that's a hardcore. <laughs> or what they would say in Connecticut is bold move, <laughs> bold move. <laughs> yeah. Do you have family up in Connecticut now? I uh, yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, like a whole bunch of folks. All kinds of cousins. Uh, so I have my first cousins are all in a lot of them. Most of them are in Connecticut. I also my dad's brother younger brother joined the FBI as well. So um, they moved around and then Uncle Tommy, his kids, they also ended up in Northern Virginia. And then we've migrated. So like I came to Richmond, then Katie and Mike came to Richmond, Trish and her husband. And now um, two of my 
cousins, two of Tommy's sons, Mark and TJ, they're here too. Really? So, yeah. What is it about Richmond? You know, I, I think I have told you before, I always kind of, because I didn't really feel like I was from the South. And I, when I came to Richmond for law school, I felt like, boy, this is really Southern. Like I had no idea. And this is in the nineties for you, right? 91. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just, on the one hand, I thought, wow, this is so different than Northern Virginia, you know, to have a place like the fan and all these, you know, I'd never been to a pharmacy that had a soda fountain in it, for example. <laughs> um, and yeah, did, it's, you, it's you, did you grow up here? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I felt it felt it to be very, very Southern. Um, it, and, it was in the early 90s, no doubt. And I, I actually, but I ended up. So, so I was kind of like after law school, I was really ready to go back, go up to DC and, and work. But then I, um, and I did that for the first four years at a law firm. And then when I went to become a US, uh, assistant US attorney with the US attorney's office, a short time after I started there, um, I ended up coming down to Richmond. And um, I, um, when I came back that time, I just sort of like fell in love with it. Had it changed? Not not so that so much that it changed. It's just that I instead of having like a big chip on my shoulder about like being an outsider, I kind of just sort of appreciated like people that were from here. And I I have since developed this affinity for people with like southern accents. I just find it like super charming and the funny ways that people talk. So I have a really good friend who's from Richmond, and we have a little thing we do. Um, and all and I heard this from another friend, but it was sort of like the Richmond greeting. Have I ever told you this? No. So when I see him, and again, I didn't coin this, but um, I will say, what's going on? And he goes, same old, same old. <laughs> and to me, that's like that's the quintessential. And I say that with deep affection because I, I do love how this town has just got so many different cross sections of people. Yeah. Um, and so... You know, my husband and I, we know we know people from UVA. We know people who've lived here for generations. We have friends through law enforcement, you know, the whole law enforcement community. I've right. served in the military and I know had friends that I was served with at Fort Lee and um and then our whole our church community and our and our Catholic community, which uh, which I love is that in Richmond, you know, that Catholic community because there's just not as many um Catholic churches and I grew up with one kid. Who was Catholic? Right. He's, he's the only kid I knew. So here they, they kind of say that you know that there's a Catholic mafia in Richmond because you know when you have when you go to like the fundraiser for the Little Sisters of the Poor it was like everybody you know that you knew who was Catholic was there or at Catholic charities or you know because it's a it's a pretty tight knit community. Oh and yeah. That's that's I love that whole sense of community. Yeah. Um, so I I like I just think Richmond I can't imagine living anywhere else I I've just I love. This city, I love the people. I love the history. It's where you raised your kids too, right? And, and all still of my children them. were. Um, I was married at St. Patrick's in Churchill, and all the first um, three of my children were baptized there. My last one was baptized at St. Bridget, and you know, just really have such a strong connection here. So, so you have super deep roots now. Yeah, I mean, I've been here since. Um, so, so I started out, you know, working as a federal prosecutor in Alexandria. And then I, when I was at um, the law firm that I was at, I was working with Jim Comey and Mm. Comey um, had become 
the supervisor, he left private practice to go back into public service and be the supervisor for the Richmond office. And he was the one who kind of gave me an opportunity to come down to Richmond and help with Project Exile, which um, I don't know if you remember, but like in the mid nineties, the crime rate in Richmond and the murder rate in particular, it was really bad, really bad. And so they were, there was, he basically said, you know, if you come here, you'll get into court right away. And the, my first case that I was handed when I came here as a brand new prosecutor was a 17 defendant, um, wiretap drug investigation. Oh, wow. Um, 17. Yeah. It's a lot. I think it was, yeah, seven, no, maybe not 17, but it was, it was a lot. There's, that's enough. I think I'm getting my conspiracies confused, but there was a, it was like 10. It was, it was, it was big. And it was like right around 2000. And, um, and then I, I stayed here and I bought my first house and, you know, in uh, the spring of 2001 and, um, and I got married on September 22nd, 2001. So right after 9-11. Born uh, exactly, I'm sorry, married exactly a week before my first son was born. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we, you know, I was in the Army Reserve at that time. Well, let's talk about that. Why did you join the Army Reserve? Well, it's kind of one of those stories where um, it's sort of a, it has some uh, elements of, yeah, I just kind of thought it would be like (laughs) somebody goes out and gets drunk and then they end up at the recruiter's office. It wasn't quite like that. But you weren't that young. No, I, I I actually went to law school, worked at a law firm, paid off my student loans in five years, largely because my dad forced me into this arrangement to do that. Um, put myself through law school. And then I had my dream job, you know, working as an assistant U.S. attorney. And when I was doing that, I, I, I found out that you could be, have a direct commission into the army as a reserve officer in the JAG Corps. Yeah. And I had, there was no history of anyone in my family serving in the military, except my sister had married this soldier who you know is- Not not only a soldier, a ranger. A ranger, right. And when I was in law school, you probably don't know this, but the summer after my first year of law school, I went, I got a job as an intern at a law firm in Savannah. And I oh. lived with Katie and Mike. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And absorbed the military culture. You got a lot of well. exposure to uh, the military and Mike. <laughs> well, my sister had um, was newly married and living with Mike in a little townhouse off of base. And she, she had, it was two bedrooms. And the, bed, the guest bedroom, she had decorated in a watermelon theme. And she was trying to be domesticated. And then I rolled in. And, you know, just sort of blew all of that. Mike, we just had, like, the most fun with, like, the Ranger guys. And, you know, just I got to know all of Mike's friends who I'm sure, you know, you you have come to meet. Like, sure. Hooter and Jet and Doc and all, you know. Yeah. What a fun summer. And, you know, I just um, had never, because my family was, you know, immig- my grandparents were immigrants. Like, no, we didn't have a history of serving like that. And so when I found out that I could do that, I thought, wow, and I'm 28 years old. I'm not married. You know, I've got this job at the U.S. Attorney's Office. And there were two of my colleagues who were at the U.S. Attorney's Office who were serving as um, in the JAG Corps Reserve. And so I approached them about it. And they said, oh, yeah, it's great. You know, you can get a direct commission. And if you don't like it, you can resign at any time. You can, oh, gonna, really? That's a heck of a deal. You're going to go see Germany. This is what... Right. It was like, see the world, have a few laughs. Like, that was how it was portrayed to me. <laughs> N- nothing hard about any of that. Yeah. Right. So I was like, 
okay, you know, it's, I thought this will be great. I'll serve my country, use my law degree to like help. And so, um, I literally like remember being in their office and they were helping me with the application, took my picture. And the next thing you know, it's like, this was in 99. They said, um, you're okay. You're in. So and you were you 29, 30 when you joined. I was, I was just shy of, um, 30, yeah. 30 years old. And so I go, so then they say, well, you know, it's going to, we're going to have to put you through a basic school and the basic school for the Jaguars at Fort Lee. It's called shoot and salute where, you know, they teach <laughs> officers how to wear their uniform. How, how long does it last? They make sure you don't like tuck your shirt into your, you, you your... need to, you need to look presentable and you, oh, yeah. you should be able to fire. Weapons, so, sure. right. So, and then you go to that, I think it was like four weeks maybe. And then from there they would, the rest of them would go off to, um, Charlottesville for the Jag school. Cause that's where the Jag school is. For the Cause Army. they're, they're all going in active duty, but I was going to do it. I did it by correspondence cause I already had a job, you know, and I was, right. and, the, and the great thing about the federal government is they actually give you military leave. So the next thing you know, I mean, they're like, I'm not even, I'm in the military. I haven't even gone to the training. Thank God, Mike, my brother-in-law, he was like, let me get you squared away. So you don't embarrass yourself, yeah. you know? And, try to learn who I'm supposed to salute. And I mean, it was just like one day you wake up, you're in the army. It's a lot to take in. Right. Yeah. It's a very different uh, culture, a very different system. Right. Lots of uh, fun rules. So we go down to uh, shoot and salute school and there's at, like a warrant. At Fort Lee. At Fort Lee. And there's like, you know, we get the schedule and it says like day one is like, you know, oh four hundred. You know, whatever. And I was like, oh great, they're gonna give us a little bit of time to settle in. You know, unpack, <laughs> get to know people, roll in at four o'clock. You know, I'm thinking p.m. I mean, that's how little I knew about oh, the you military. Didn't even know it's, oh, I didn't know we were gonna get started at four at four a.m. You, like, you thought it was a gentleman and lady sort of entrance. I didn't. Into, I just yeah. didn't know. I didn't know anything. I I literally like just thought this would be cool. I'd like to serve my country. Where do I sign Everything up? you knew besides your two lawyer buddies was from Mike, which was a lot. He didn't tell me anything. I mean, I, I well, I knew I knew what it was like to live outside the post in Savannah and go down to the riverfront and have you know. Did he feed you bad info, bad intel? In any well, point? he just. I think he was equally like sh- he was shocked. I mean, it was kind of like I told him that I think I might have actually already committed to it after, and, and then I told him. Oh, wow. I mean, it was like oh, I really admire what you do, and I'd like to. And he was like, you did. I mean, my whole family was like, you, nobody was just praising me for that. They all thought I was a complete <laughs> like, idiot. What are you doing? My parents were just like, you did what? I mean, you're 30 years old and you just joined the army. I mean, what why? was your What was your commitment? Well, I didn't, I, I, like a good lawyer, I failed to read the fine print. I took the word of these two guys at my, <laughs> at my office who said, and, and I think what they said was true at the time that, you know, in 99, it was a more loose commitment, but then 9/11 then had 9/11 happened. happened. Yeah. yeah, and you know what I what I had done was, I said, well, where am I gonna? What unit am I gonna go to? And I thought, well, I don't want to go up to D.C. That I'll go where close to my home. So they said, you know, you're gonna be in the 300th area support group, which I later came to know was a logistics combat support group that would provide all of the you know, operational support in terms of like just the the, the the necessities sure for a forward deployment. And I was one of three lawyers that was assigned to that unit of hundreds of people. So it was not a legal unit by any stretch. I mean, and I, I li- again, that was just sort of like, 
oh, I'll go to Fort Lee. That makes sense. So there I was um, when 9-11 happened. So uh, did you deploy? So, um, you know, I didn't. And I, that was kind of like, uh, I wish I had. Our unit did ultimately deploy. And by, I, I joined the Army, you know, when I was in, I was barely 30. And at, at that point thinking, I haven't met anyone. Like I'm not, I don't have a significant other. I'm not married. I may not get married. Who knows? And then, and then I met my husband shortly thereafter and um and we fell in love and we got engaged in on uh saint patrick's day of 2001 that's, that's and appropriate got married of course yeah, yeah in savannah with and ended up having a big blowout celebration of the night with all of mike and his ranger buddies how did, how did you meet your husband well curtis was a u.s park police officer okay and when i became an assistant u.s attorney um you start out working in handling the the traffic docket in uh in front of the um in magistrate court and you know park u.s park police patrols the gw parkway and all of the um monuments and anything that's federal property yeah and so if so that was kind of a way to kind of hone your skills in court duis reckless driving you know things that could actually require a mini trial um and they had that docket. So I did that for a few months when I first joined the U.S. Attorney's Office. Curtis and I kind of overlapped. And I, you know, we, we, he came, you know, he was one of many police officers that, you know, was there in court that day. Didn't really pay much attention to me, which I took great notice of. <laughs> and, um, but he was getting ready to go join the ATF. Mm. And so um, we, we, we just kind of crossed paths and then in court. In court. Yeah. And then one day, um, I got this call like three weeks after I joined the office and it was from Curtis Marshall and he was calling me to find, because he's basically saying, you know, I, I'm going to be, I'm joining the ATF, but I have this one case that I need to, you know, come back and testify for. And he really probably could have called any number of other people who were. He knew what he was doing. Uh, he, yeah, it was absolute yeah. pretext call. Yeah. And in that call, he said. Oh, by the way, I heard you went to UVA. So did I. Oh, I didn't know he went to UVA. Yeah, and I was like, you did? And I'm thinking, why? Okay, you know, because I thought it was an odd thing that he was, you know, like he went to UVA my year. And he, he was, and he was, you know, doing his thing as a uniformed police officer, which was great. But I was just sort of like, well, okay. What? And, and then he, we figured out that he lived in the same dorm as some of your and my um common really? friends back then yeah wow and and a lot of my fine you friends you know knew him not well but i mean he was he was you know um small world such a small world yeah. so we graduated from uva the same year that's crazy and then you know from there you know we just kept in touch and he moved to fayetteville that was his first assignment for atf it's not a great assignment. And I always say, you, you know, he married me for the hardship transfer. Because <laughs> he's like a single guy, non-military, living in Fayetteville. It's, not, it's, you know, it's rough. Rough. That is very yeah. rough. And so, um, yeah, so that's how, but we met and, you know, we we ended up having all these other points of, you know, reference where we kind of crossed paths without realizing it many times. Wow. He grew up in Manassas and anyway, so, um, yeah, he, he didn't know what he was getting into, but he... Did, did, he, did he know learned. you had four, four uh, sisters? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He likes to say not a day goes by when he doesn't hear 
from we don't I don't get a phone call from one of my sisters before seven and after ten. <laughs> That's amazing. And we, we we kind of like we talk over everything. So like I got to get their input on everything from all four of them. Pretty much, yeah. Wow. Everybody has an opinion, and there's a lot of communication about different decisions, and he, that drives him crazy. I think that would drive me crazy. When we were having our first child, he, um, he he said, "I, you know, I want to find out the gender," and I was like, "Oh, you know, my my sister, no one's ever done that in my family, and my sisters." Let me let me check with my my sisters. sisters Don't do like they've never done that. They were all surprised, you know. And he's like, "Well, okay, but like I think I'd like to find out, and you know, this is our baby, so we should." I'm like, what? I just, you know, I don't want to go against the family on this. And he's like, what? Like, what what do you mean go against your family? Are you guys in the mob? Yeah, exactly. He was like, why can't we make an independent decision about... It's a fair question. But that's a dynamic of having all girls. It's just that Uh, we, my dad is a true patriarch. He like, he's very much involved. Like, and we just, we, we, we have been very involved in, you know, helping nurture each other's children and you know my some of my sisters are better than this at others but they'll come to like my, my kids games and i mean we're just close like yeah. that um and so you know he's adjusted to it over time and i know he loves them all and and they think of him as a true brother but it can be it can be a lot five five sisters is a lot yeah. it's a lot yeah. and five sisters and i think my brother-in-laws have formed like their own little you know, support group. Yeah, because you don't think about that. There are five brothers-in-law. Yeah. And, and they <clears throat> and get along? They all get along. I mean, they're yeah. so different. And I know I know for a fact that each one of them thinks, like, thank God I married the sister that I married. <laughs> right? But they all think that. Yeah. Like, that, each that, one of them thinks that, like, and that's great, right? They feel that they, that yeah. they got, like, thank God I married this sister because <laughs> these other sisters I could never deal with. But each one of them thinks the same thing. That's hilarious. All right, let's go back to UVA. Okay. You ran track. Yeah. You may not remember this, and I don't remember exactly what day it was, but mm-hmm. I had to run, uh, I think, every morning, Monday through Friday to get ready to go down to this thing at Fort Bragg for yeah. Army ROTC. And we would run four to six miles typically, and mm-hmm. we would start and end up on the quarter-mile track for the UVA track team. Right. And I'm running, and I... I wasn't fast to begin with, but after I've run five miles, I'm really not fast. Right. And somebody yelled track at me really loudly, like scared me. I jumped like to get off the track. Yeah. And I, and I, uh, I don't remember if I jumped to the infield or if I went to the second lane, but it got my attention. I'm like, Oh my God, who the hell was that? Cause whoever it was flew by me. Uh-huh. And I remembered the hair was long, straight and black. Uh-huh. And I think a couple of days later, I, I, realized it was you and wow. i'm like lord did you yell track at like the six foot three dude who was running really slowly you're like, you're like maybe i yell track at everybody all the time yeah, like that means get off the track yeah and i'm yeah. like i'm like army rtc or somebody on the track team who who has the lane it's probably somebody on the track team. yeah that's so, so funny so talk about uh your uva track experience so the uva track experience was you know i was an okay runner you know in high school and i think I'm not even sure exactly how it happened, but I think my dad had called the coach and I was like, go, you know, I, go dad. Because I had gotten like sixth place in the state meet. Right. And, sure. But it wasn't certainly not going to get a scholarship anywhere, but I, I did play tra- um, field hockey and I ran track and I, and I did a few recruit trips and um, 
you know, to different schools. And my, and my father had sort of, sort of set up so that I could come and be a walk-on on the UVA team. But I wasn't like, you know, their top recruit or anything. And whether or not it helped me to get in, I, you know, I, who knows? But you were dedicated. But I, unlike the current, you know, varsity blue scale, I actually, you know, did do the sport. Right. <laughs> and I was, and so that freshman year, um, I came, I went out, you know, and I was, but I was also, um, which you may recall, you know, having a great time with my five new friends sure. and, and drinking a lot of beer and eating a lot of pizza. And, you know, I was a distance runner who now had shin splints mm. and didn't really look like I was a distance runner and kind of spent more time in the training room than I ever did running. And I constantly had, was injured because I, you know, I wasn't taking care of myself and I'd put on the freshman 20 and it just wasn't good. Right? And, pe- and people didn't know back then how to really take care of themselves like they do today. Well, yeah. And, and, you know, I was, I was just like so happy to have the, you know, freedom and having a great time. And I had a great time first year and, um, and I'll never forget. So the, the head coach didn't really know who I was. I mean, I was, I wasn't really on the track and, um, wasn't able to run that much. And there was a group of girls that were injured or trying to recover from injuries. And we were working with a volunteer coach and some of these girls were scholarship. The others were, the other two were, you know, scholarship athletes, but we were kind of in this little group. And so at the end of the year, um, the head track coach, he meets with every athlete and sort of talks about the year and goals and all of that. So I had, you know, my meeting was scheduled with coach Bingley who was the head coach at the time. And um, I walked in there expecting like, okay, you know, get better, you know, get well this summer and there's always next year, right? But that was not at all the message. The message was appreciate you coming out. You know, division one is not, sports is not for everyone. Like it was basically not even a question that I was off, like I wasn't coming back. And, And, you know, I was totally stunned because I, although I hadn't, run a step and I had redshirted, I thought, well, I'll still, they'll still want me to come back. At least try. Right. But I mean, I was so far from an athlete at that point. I mean, I was just, you know, really hadn't done anything to improve my, you know, it, it just was, I was not. You're an 18, 19 I mean, year old kid. I, I, I look like a, if I was going to be an athlete in any sport, it was certainly not going to be a distance runner. I mean, I think people were like, would have said, there's no way this girl's a miler. I mean that, you know. Well, I was just devastated and I went home and, um, I'll never forget like telling my dad about that. And we grew up across the street from Burke Lake Park in Northern Virginia it was this, this lake that had a four and a half mile trail around it. And, um, and I couldn't even make it like to the bridge and back, which was like a two mile run. I just cried the whole time. And my dad was just like, well, what do you, you got a decision to make, you know? And, and he basically encouraged me and I thought, well, let me just it just put a fire under me, frankly. And, um, and I remember kind of getting the workouts from other, like he was sending workouts to the other girls on the team and they would, they were forwarding it to me. And, uh, I was running over at Burke Lake and I saw a girl that I used to run against in high school who ran from George Mason. And she was saying, yeah, I'm training at like seven minute pace, you know, just to run, run around the lake and seven. And I thought, wow, can I, can I do this? And so the whole summer, all I did was wait tables, which my sisters and I, I don't know if you know this, we all worked at the same restaurant. No, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's a whole nother, which was again, a forced um, opportunity that my parents <laughs> provided. Um, but I would get up and I worked at this restaurant called CC and company. So I would get up and work out in the morning, 
go to work at CC and company. Um, and that was my, that was it all summer long. I, I you know, lived on salad, baked potatoes and crab soup. Mm. And, um, I started to get back in shape. I mean, it started to heal. I wasn't going out. I was, you know, finally getting some sleep and, um, I just kept going and going. And then I started, you know, training in a way I'd never trained before where I said, well, let me just, I'm going to run you know, these little half mile markers and say, let me see if I can do seven minute pace. And I was like, wow, you know, I just did it for a half mile. Now I'm going to do it for another mile. What about two? And then by the end of the summer, I was literally just like running around the lake three times yeah. doing like 12 13, and a half 13, miles. Yeah. yeah 13 R- mile runs rolling at seven minute pace, half marathon, just like going. Yeah. yeah. And I was in great shape. And so, Coach Bingley used to have this sort of tradition of they'd bring the athletes back a week before school started and uh, there'd be a two-mile time trial on the track and, you know, sort of like put put up the, you know, see who's in shape and who worked out. And I was living with all upperclassmen. I had two girls from my high school, one who's um, a year ahead of me, another one who's two years ahead of me. Both were recruited and got scholarships to run at UVA and they had kind of taken me under their wing. So... You know, I was living with them and living with all runners and swimmers. And um, so I came back for the the two-mile time trial. Didn't tell the coach I was coming. Yeah, because you kind of weren't invited, right? I wasn't invited. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even know if he would let me on the track. And so I walked up to the track, and he was shutting the gate to close it to the public, to people like you that weren't supposed to be on the <laughs> track. And, um, and he basically got you know, within five feet of me and said, um, oh, miss, I'm sorry, we're, we're having track practice. The track is closed. He didn't recognize you. Did not recognize me. It was a complete, like, I wish I could do that now. I wish I had the fortitude to, like, transform myself in 10 weeks like I did then. But it was a 100%, you know, I was lifting. I was doing abs. I mean, I, I was in amazing shape. You were, you were all in. Yeah. So I got on the track. And, of course, he, he when he saw that, he was just like, well, what's the harm? Let her try. Let her, let her try. And I won. You won. Yeah. Oh wow! You beat the scholarship kids. I mean, yeah. That's amazing. I was in the. I was the best prepared. You know, and and you know, I mean, I ended up running really well. The rest, I mean, I, there was amazing. That our program was. You know, we had some really good girls from overseas, and but I was. I was competitive. I mean, yeah. I, I was. I did the rest. The the next three years were, um, you know, I was. I was a top. Contribute one of the you know as a contributor on the team, which was amazing. Did you place uh, when you went against what, what were track meets like in I, college? I have no concept. I mean, we would run against. I won the Navy Invitational. We I ran um, in the ACC. I qualified for the ACC finals. You know, I ran the mile in the eight hundred, and then my senior year, we there were four of us who ran a four by 800 and we qualified for the nationals meet. That's really cool. Really, and I got to run the anchor leg. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So then at the end of the year, coach Bingley brought me in and he said to me, um, you know, I know you're applying to law school and you're applying to UVA. And of course I knew I wasn't going to get into UVA, but he said, if you get in and you want to run another year, I can offer you a 25% scholarship. And for law school, I just wanted him, I just wanted him to I wanted to have earned it. I never, but I I you know that was it. I didn't I didn't never ran. And then I went I graduated from UVA and went to Richmond Law School. But I did earn a scholarship that I didn't never got. Never, it never paid off, but you did earn. But that was in some ways I feel like I had nothing to like. I just had nothing to lose because I wasn't on a scholarship. So like, and it that that attitude is definitely 
carried me in my life in terms of like things that I've strived for, whether I got it or not. I always kind of come with it. Look, I I have, I literally have no, nothing to lose. It's a great attitude to have. Um, yeah. And, uh, and then I went to UVR and I, I coached track. I was like a grad assistant coach there and did some, continued to run for a while until, you know, kids and work and craziness. So yeah, I, life. And, and I think I just did my knees. in. so two knee surgeries later, um, my running days are basically over, but yeah, that was a, I, I loved what a great sport. And I had, it was a huge part of my UVA experience and I still have incredibly close friends that I'm, you know, like family that are girls from the track team. Speaking of close uh, friends that are like family, tell me about some of the folks from FIMU that you oh are gosh. still in touch with. Okay, so Tracy, of course. And Tracy um, Amahundro, Tracy Quinn. Yep. She and I are in touch all the time. And uh, they all, the, the girls that got together recently, um, you know, were, you know, Katie and Mary and Mary Boatwright and Emily Man. I talked to Emily Manny, Felicia. Felicia's a, you know, she was on Wall Street for years. Now she's the CFO of a publicly traded um, company in, in gaming. Um, so, I mean, I wish I saw everybody more, but we there's, you know. Everybody's spread, right? All over Pretty the place. much, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, but, but there's, you know, there's a group text and um, there's quite a few people on it. And so, and then I've, and then Instagram, you know, on Instagram with Susan Moran and you know, just people that, I, if I saw them, you'd pick right back up. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, so that was a, and, and so I was really lucky because I had the whole track experience at UVA. But then I also, because I wasn't a scholarship athlete, I was free to pledge a sorority. Oh, if you were on scholarship, you couldn't. I, I think it was discouraged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, not. I don't know that there were any other. I mean, there was a couple of girls, but the ones that did the sorority, the few that did, they were. I think they were all kind of walk-ons. It was hard for you to do both, right? Or actually, all three. I mean, so academics, track, not, and be in a so sorority. Much. Not so much. There was I enough mean, time I, I was all, And then I also had a job. What was your job? I worked at the Biltmore. You did? Yeah. How many hours? I was, a, I was a member of the inaugural staff at the Biltmore. Holy cow! Which was all athletes. I had no idea. Oh yeah, it was like soccer players and lacrosse players, and they were the bartenders, and then I was a waitress. Oh, that's that's amazing. So I worked at the Biltmore um, because I mean I. Listen, I'm fourth of five kids. My mom, my dad's an FBI agent, but my mom's not working. And we worked at the restaurant for years. Right. And when we got, when we made tips, we had to bring it, bring the cash home and put in an envelope under the dining room rug and give, my dad was in control of it. So like, it's not like I, my head, there was no allowance or, you know, beer money wasn't being, was what I made and had. Yeah. Wow. And there wasn't a lot left over from the summer because we actually used that money to pay for our tuition. It's not a bad deal. No, I mean, and you know, I mean, I remember writing a check for like twenty five hundred dollars for a, sem- a full semester at UVA with my with my own money. Well, two things about that: one, it's cool that you paid for college, and two, it it was crazy cheap. Back crazy then. cheap, yeah. And we qual we qualify. I mean, I qualified for grants because my I might we had one income family and five kids, and so. Um, Oh, so, I, yeah. I didn't realize you could get grants being one-income family. I should back then it was like the Pell Grant, or I, yeah. I can't remember. It's but probably something similar. My to dad it, didn't no. make enough money, I guess, given the number of dependents, where we could still get financial aid, right? And yeah. so, um, 
but but getting the job at the Biltmore was made sense to me because then I could like see my friends and socialize and then also had your own, make a little money and had your own money, yeah. And then if there was a shot or two that was being offered for people, which was not <laughs> uncommon, I mean, I won't name names, but there was a lot of bartenders that were free to... A lot of college kids running the place. For the yeah. communal. Sure. The communal the communal drink. So, um, yeah, so I was very busy in school, but I, you know, managed to do well enough to get into U of R law school, which was, I was lucky because I, I probably could have applied myself more, but I, I was doing a lot and... You know, when people say, oh, my gosh, you know, you really can't, you know, D1 sports is so demanding, you can't possibly do it. You know, I mean, I, I did that, a sorority, and I worked. Did you, you just like, you've always impressed me as a person who wants to have a lot of things going I overextend, on. for sure. Yeah. But but I remember we used to have these two-a-days where you had to, you had to be at Coach Bingley's van by like 7 in the morning. For, for your your morning run and then practices in the afternoon. And I lived on 14th Street. So I tried to go, I would try to go as the crow flies to U-Haul. Yeah. Which would mean cutting through lots of people's yards. I mean, I just didn't have time. Was, to, yeah, they, they were not close to each other. Because I was trying to like get there without, and I didn't have the time because I was, you know, overslept or whatever. So. And you didn't have a car? No. The whole time you were there, you never had a car. Well, no, but that was the whole point. You're, you're supposed to run there. Oh, that oh, that's the morning workout. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. Okay. You know, it actually just realized it never occurred to me to drive and like cheat and like park somewhere. It didn't even didn't even occur to me. I could have done that. I don't know. It might have occurred to me. I'm pretty sure. It <laughs> <I didn't, I, laughs> you know, literally, as you said that, I was like, why didn't I just park and land at Hall? But but, then, but you wouldn't have uh, received a twenty five percent scholarship offer. Well, yeah. Yeah. But. Um, but yeah, so I, I mean, I had, I had such a great experience at UVA and I was really lucky that I got to like have those different groups of friends and, and then you know, the sorority thing was an expense, but um, I don't know if you remember this, but you knew it at the time. I didn't think I could join the sorority because it cost so much money. And Felicia was like in a financial role, which is no surprise, right? She's a CFO. No, not but Felicia sh- not was, shocking, was yeah. running the finances for the sorority. And she and Tracy, who was the president, and Susan, who was the, you know, they were all like, had like important positions. They worked it out so that I was the kitchen manager. <laughs> and that I would, and I had no, like, was that a funny. title or were you actually doing things as a kitchen manager? I was supposed to be doing things. I was supposed to be putting the food away at night so it didn't sit out. That was my job. And I got a little bit of a break on the sorority dues because of it. I got to live in the house. And, um, and I wouldn't have, I mean, I couldn't have hit my parents up for, for that, oh, yeah. you know? So it seems extravagant. It right? wouldn't even be, I wouldn't yeah. even asked. Right. Because they would say, no, like we don't have, you're not doing that. Right. Or we don't have that. So, um, and they have never forgotten that. <laughs> <laughs> nor, nor, sh- nor, that, nor should they. <laughs> and the fact that I didn't always do my job, which I think was just to put the food away. Did you, you never did it? I did do it. I think I did a good job. Felicia has a different take on that. She would tell you that I rarely <laughs> did what I was supposed to do. So I actually had two jobs in, in college. Or 1.3 jobs, maybe mm-hmm. we'll call it. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, why law school? Well, I always wanted to follow my dad's footsteps because of from, the... From being a little kid. The, 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 the mind, um, you know, from being sort of 
prepared to be the, the son. Um, and so I knew that I, wa- I wanted to, I really thought I wanted to be an FBI agent. And my dad said, no, 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 you know, I, back in the, when he joined the FBI, you had to be a lawyer and accountant. But he said, go to law school and then actually practice and you can be a federal prosecutor. And so that was really why I went to law school. I always wanted that job. Federal prosecutor. A federal. I wanted to be a federal prosecutor. Why federal versus state or local? Because I think because my dad had, having been an FBI agent, he worked with federal prosecutors and he had done federal work. And I mean, I would have just absolutely enjoyed being a state prosecutor. Um, but I think I just sort of followed in the, hey, you know, this is what my dad would like me to do. And since I was his, you know, son, <laughs> I, you know, you had to follow in the family business. And his his father was a police officer in New Haven. And of course, my uncle was an FBI agent. And so I just wanted to, I just want, I really wanted to be in public service. So that's why I went to law school. And, and then I got, was fortunate enough to get an opportunity to work at a big firm, um, which, which was kind of the next step because back then you couldn't just graduate from law school and be an assistant U.S. attorney. I mean, you had to have experience or a clerkship or something. And so I was trying to find my, you know, way to, to get the experience to do that. What's your uh, most memorable story that you can talk about being a lawyer? Uh, what, in ter- as a prosecutor? Doesn't matter. Any, any time. Um, that you can talk there's about. There's so I, many. I, I'm not trying to get you in trouble. I'll, no. I mean, there's been incredible stories as a prosecutor in terms of like things that have happened that between my husband and I, with him and the work that he did and the work that I did. But the thing that's jumping to mind is like is when I came, when I went into the private sector, I've I've been able to do some pro bono work, and um, this is sort of a worlds colliding thing. But I I um, represented someone under the First Step Act, which is a piece of legislation that the Trump administration passed that allowed people who were sentenced under the mandatory sentencing guidelines, who didn't have like a violent criminal history. A chance to be resentenced, basically, if they met certain criteria. And I got involved in a case um, that had been, this guy had been sort of trying to appeal his his conviction or get some kind of relief from a life sentence. Oh. And nonviolent, he, and he was in for life. Right. Wow. Because of the weight. And he had, he had two prior convictions that made him a career offender, but both of them were as a juvenile. They were treated as adult felonies. And one of them was actually for burglary. And when I asked him about it, he said, well, I I I took a TV out of a house that I I had been staying at because it was my TV. So, I mean, just a really compelling, compelling case. So I got involved in that. Long story short, um, you know, I I sort of dug, 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 found some things out that were really, I thought compelling and mitigating. And in addition to that, this guy had really done the work in terms of just an incredible rehabilitation effort in the 23 years that he'd been in. Oh, 23 years. So break, he's, break this, he's, he's, he's become a really good friend of mine um, and he's 46 years old. Great guy. But he had, he had done things in prison that were, that to me were so inspiring because here he is serving, facing down a life sentence that he really had no hope of ever getting out from under. And he was 20 some early 20s when he went in and he got college credits and a GED and he became almost like a peer counselor and helped other people who were suicidal. And I mean, he just was 
had done a lot of really good things and helped a lot of people and, you know, crushing, crushing exem- circumstances, exemplary right? life. And when he could have just like, I marvel at the, the, the level of fortitude that that would take. So, um, he, uh, through a, a number of circumstances, you know, coupled with the record that he built for himself, some things that I was able to do from a legal perspective, he, the judge basically gave him time, you know, commuted his life sentence to time served. And we had, when we finally got the ruling, it became effective in 14 days. So I actually got to place a phone call to tell somebody that they were going home in 14 days. And he thought it was life. Yeah. And we've been working on his case for about two years. And he had multiple other firms and lawyers that have been helping him for the last God knows how many years. And, and it you, was, and it you, was, you got to place the call. I was on the call. I mean, it was a team effort. I mean, there's yeah. so many people that participated in this and, um, I'll never forget, you know, it was the, one of the young lawyers that had worked on this case and done an amazing job, you know, working with him and putting all the facts together. She said, who are you going to call? Who, who, you know, who, who are you going to call as far as your family? And he had not told his family that this was even a possibility because he just didn't believe that it was going to happen. He had, he had not made, he had never given anyone a hint that he might be coming home. He didn't want to get his hopes up and he was rashly thinking that there he was just no never, way. it just thought it was just, didn't seem real. Like it just, he thought there's no, I'll, I'll just keep, he kept reading cases. I mean, he was like sending me really good cases that he would find and he put so much time and effort into it. It just became part of his life to fight this fight, but he never thought he could win. Mm. And but but he had to fight. He had to fight. He's coming home. And so the crazy thing was, this is the middle of COVID. It's November, oh, this, just, this just happened. November of 2020. Holy cow. So it's been less than a year. And they said, well, he had, he had immediately quarantined. So Are you kidding me? He didn't me? even get to like, for 10 days, he was in the hole, basically. Trying Come to, on. Yeah. Oh, that's awful. So then I saw, I told my, I looked at my husband, who's now retired from law enforcement. And I said, you and I need to go make a road trip to Florida to go pick up my client because I, I can't have him just like walk out and not have anyone there. And people couldn't really travel to be there because of COVID. And, right. And, um, and then he just, we, and I ended up flying down with, um, the associate, the young associate who worked on the case and we met him and brought him home. And home is Norfolk, Norfolk. That's incredible. Uh huh. That's a great story. A- awful story for awful. 23 but, but years. He's an but- amazing, he's actually within three weeks, he had a full-time job and he's how apartment hunting right now. And he's reconnected with his grandchildren that, you know, he never, he never got to see. I mean, it, he's, he's an incredible person. Mm. So we talk all, all the time, but that was a pretty amazing thing to be a part of and to witness the human spirit. Yeah. And then, I don't know if I could get to that place. Here's the crazy postscript on that. Um, around the same time, I got an email out of the blue from somebody that I, not somebody that I represented, but somebody that I actually prosecuted who had been sentenced to life for a mm. drug case around the same time that this guy went in like 2001, that big, that first big case I told you I got. Yeah. And hit po- the point of him and he didn't ultimately have to serve life. He served like less than that, but he reached out to me to say, you know, I wanted you to know, like, I hope it's not you know, crazy that I'm reaching out, but I just wanted to let you know that, um, I turned out okay, you know, and I, I, 
I've got this job. And because of COVID, he had kind of been working um, in his company, which is a construction company, as pro- you know, and, and they sort of recognized that um, he, he got on a couple of Zoom calls with some pretty high up folks. And they were like, wow, who this guy's got got something really special. We need him. To, we want to bring him into our executive program. And, 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 you know, when, when I had met him, what was interesting was he was a college athlete who had blown out his knee and then his life took a really sharp turn yeah. and he quickly got caught up in the drug game. He went to a high school in Virginia and knew some of the people that I ran against in high school. Wow. So this was somebody that was kind of near my age and also somebody that you would say, you look at and say, you know, I'm the, I'm prosecuting this case, but I could, could see my, I probably would have been friends with a guy, this guy in high school. Like right. if we've gone to, he's, he's came from a nice family. I mean, he had, he just, this is the thing about like, everybody has a story, right? And a lot of people don't necessarily realize that every person who's comes to, you know, court, you know, and there's some people have done really, really bad things. And there's other people that are just a victim of circumstances, life, bad luck, poor choices, whatever. And that was him. I mean, he, he, he's a really talented individual. And I, we had a couple conversations where I sort of let that be known that, Hey, you know, you're staring this down, but like, if you ever get a second chance, you could really do something with your life. Yeah. And he never forgot that. And he wrote a letter to me to tell me that. That's, it's amazing. And we recently, you know, we've reconnected and he's, he's got a great family grandfather. You know, he's really committed to like helping people avoid the same mistakes. And he has some friends who renovate houses and stuff. And, and he's, he's up in Northern Virginia, but he got some, he used to live in the Virginia Beach area. So guess who's helping my client you know, oh, wow. find a place to live? <laughs> that's amazing. I mean, so that's, for me, you know, from a work perspective, that's a pretty amazing thing to be a part of, which is, it's not a, you know, it's not like a, uh, necessarily like an accolade or a, prominent thing that I got to do or but it's just like to it's me special super special yeah I just feel like there's a lot of things I've I mean I have I would say uh, most of what I've done is tried is strived for things and tried for things that I didn't get necessarily and some things I did but I've I've put myself out there a number of times and sometimes it's been you know the, the result I was hoping for. And sometimes, you know, God had a different plan, but whenever I think about those disappointments, I also think about the ability to sort of like impact people, just one person at a time, whatever, you know, and that to me is like, I have, that's just so valuable as an accomplishment. That isn't necessarily something that you put on your resume. Right. Um, and those are probably more important. Yeah. Than the resume. And I have always been a person that could see, like, a, a person's character pretty quickly. I mean, that's just, you know, uh, I'm not a, I'm not one for small talk. I'm not, you know, I don't think I'm intense, but I also, like, I just really kind of, I don't, if I, if you become a friend of mine, you're, you're a friend for life. Like, I don't, I don't, you know, I yeah. engage with people. And I love that. I love to do that. So, so that's been, that's been fun. And I can see myself you know, down the road and, you know, if I retire from big law, I mean, I would love to just do, do that work 
pro, pro bono. Yeah, I'd love, to, I'd love yeah. to do something like that. I'd love to do something where I, you know, where I can make an impact. One, I, one, love, one person at a time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not much of a joiner, but I have, like, I do like to just sort of make an impact one person at a time. Exactly like you said. Yeah. All right. I, this is going to be an awkward transition. Sure. You now have your own late night talk show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But it's going to run one night. I thought you had your own late night. No, no, not me. No, no, no. <laughs> Isn't that what we're doing? <laughs> it's a sort of. Uh, and it's going to run for one night only. Okay. You get to bring one male on, one female, mm. one musical guest. Yeah, we'll male, leave it at that. Male, female, and musical guest. And they can be alive or dead. Okay. They can be for your uh, enjoyment. They can be for the broader audience's enjoyment. Mm-hmm. It could be uh, bringing somebody on as a gift for somebody else. Mm-hmm. It can be whatever you want to make it. And I can talk. So I got to have I, a, male, a male guest, a female guest, and a musical group, and a musical group. Yes. God, I'm really. This is like really exposing. Is it my? That's what well, it's. That's what it's meant to do. Okay. That's why I'm doing it. Oh, gosh. Well, I'll just go with what's come popping into my head. Yeah, it's all good. Which is kind of random, but I, I would love to have Nikki Haley. Okay. Um, because I just think she's an amazing person. Has an amazing story. I love her presence. Her grit. You know, I think she's a true leader and really intelligent. I'd love to to meet her. Where is she now? She's well, you know, she's she's been kind of resurfacing a little bit since um, the election, and you know, kind of being more vocal. But she's not. I mean, I, I don't know exactly what she's doing. You know, in, in terms of her day to day, but I just know that she's been more active and sort of on the talk shows and kind of do. And I hope that's an indication that maybe she would you know, run for office and um, maybe even the presidency. People, people certainly talk about that. Yeah. I would love to see a woman in a leadership role. Sure. Like that. Yeah. Um, and, and, and frankly, in all kinds of leadership roles. Um, so that would be great. And then the, the, the male guest is Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> because I always I just loved Mark Wahlberg. But even, I, even back I, in the Marky Mark days? Well, yes, but more so in his... You know he's a he's a really strong Catholic. He's a really good actor too. He's a good actor. He's funny. Yeah. He he's I don't really follow a lot of people on Instagram, and frankly, he's a tough to follow because he, he there's such there's like these huge segments of him working out, which is like I don't. You know, makes, makes Wait, me he's feel, filming himself. Mark's working making out. me feel like <laughs> terrible about myself, but but no, but like he just is. Um, I think he's a great actor, and uh, I. Also think he's a, like he's a good guy, yeah. and I think he's he's such a unicorn in Hollywood to sort of. I mean, he actually, when the Pope came to visit um, a few years back, and he went, he attended a rally, and you know he wasn't afraid to like step out there as a Catholic. He and and I res- really respect that. Yeah, um, he's being he's being true to himself, especially as a, in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but I also think he'd be a really good guest musically. I don't. I mean. I, my music taste is so random that my kids and I have a game. Random with, or broad? Rand. Well, both. Okay. Because I, um, when we when I put my iTunes on, my kids and I play a game where we, you have three spins, and after the third spin, if you if you pass, you, you can pass three times on the song, right? And then after the third one, you're stuck with whatever comes. Yeah. And I like heavy metal, rap. Um, Irish music. You had me at heavy metal and rap. Classical a, music. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I've seen, I saw Guns N' Roses front row. 
Recently. <laughs> Recently? Yeah. Where? Twice. Dallas and when they first came back, you know, the Hell Freezes Over tour, which has been going on now for God knows how many years. Um, yeah. That's, that's like, I would, yeah. I, and then uh, and then I saw them in North Carolina when my, when about four years ago. GNR was big initially back in... College. Yeah, late 80s. I was yeah. I dressed up as um, Axel for Halloween one year. <laughs> <laughs> so putting aside all of the, you know, what's not PC... That back then we didn't really know, know you know, right. take much notice of. Um, right. I do love the, just the pure rock and roll, um, and but I also like love Kanye West. I, I I think I mean he's he's I think he speaks his truth, even yeah. if it's not something I agree with. I just I appreciate like authenticity. He is authentic. There's no doubt. Yeah, he and so so I, I guess I'd have to have. One of the other, one of those two. But you're not committing tonight to this fictitious uh, late night talk show. I guess I'd, I I think I'd have better. I don't know. I think neither one of them would be on my talk show. But yeah, that would be that would be kind of fun. They might. Um, You'd have great ratings with your guests, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it'd be a good. That would be a good show. It'd be a great show, <laughs> especially since you just thought about it for the last but like. Man, five that minutes. is such a. Uh, insightful question it's meant to be yeah okay yeah it's good times thanks for All the right. heads up yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's, that's the fun for me I'm not giving you that okay <laughs> no but that's that is you, the truth you had a really good answer yeah that is my yeah yeah thanks just man. go with what comes to mind is that the first moment you're like i wish paul had given me a heads up that this was coming no 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 <laughs> i mean listen i i stand by my my love of like gnr i just i'm sure i'm not sure that i'm like a, a fan they would want to claim <laughs> 52-year-old lawyer well, with five kids. Well, but, aren't they in their 50s? And frankly, Kanye probably wouldn't want me as a fan. I mean, yeah, well, that's true. They are. Yeah. And when I went to Guns N' Roses, um, it was really interesting because I, I, I made this discovery that doesn't work for every concert. But if you wait till the day of a concert and then you go on like a Ticketmaster or whatever, those those sort of general admission seats that go for like eight fifty, Right. Right at the front row or whatever, you can get those tickets for like two seventy five, like a couple hours before. Right, yeah. and so I was in Dallas for work, and the woman that was on my team, she happened to love Guns N' Roses too, which we were both like, wow. And they were just this was like six when the tour just started, and they were playing that night at um, the Cowboy Stadium. Mm. So we, I was like, let's go. So we literally got tickets that day. And we couldn't believe it. It was basically standing there in this general admission section. And then, you know, some of the people that were there were doing dumb things and getting kicked out. So slowly we kept getting, inching our way closer and closer to where like, I'm literally like eyeball to eyeball with these guys. It was With Axel and Slash. Well, actually I was, Duff McKagan is my, if I had to pick a favorite. I had no idea Go, you're a Duff person. Duff McKagan, yeah. also a Catholic. Uh, you know, air quotes, I guess. I don't know how, how devout, yeah. but, um, you know, he's got the Irish lesson. I'm also a, a partial to my people of, you know, I don't know if he's Scottish or what, but the Celtic connection, which is a Mark Wahlberg thing, too. I think yeah, they have yeah. a little bit of that. Um, he's from Boston. My, I have relatives there as well, um, but I definitely identify with, with that. Because that was the way I was, you know, yeah. ra- very much raised in the 
the Irish Catholic, you know, all those funny stories and things you hear about families like like that is kind of like my family. It's entertaining for me as a non-Catholic. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. You know, just Be- every there's a saint for every single possible problem you could have. <laughs> like if you name a particular challenge. So, for example, like you can't find a boyfriend. And then you There's a saint for that? Saint Anne, Saint Anne, bring me a man. Oh, wow. Or you Saint Anthony, Saint Anthony, look around, something's lost and can't be found. You need to sell your house. There's a saint for that. How I mean, many saints you didn't total know that? we're talking about? I mean, I've, I've bumped into There's a, a few saint times. for everything. There's a saint, a patron saint of every. There's a patron saint for any for realtors. There's a patron saint for everything. Pa- patron saint of uh, traveling. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You've got there. You go. So yeah. did your wife give you that? Yeah, she did. Okay, see. Yeah. Look at you. <laughs> You're, you are you are a closet Catholic. There's still time. There's still time. Oh, the man. Lord works in mysterious ways. It's, call, it's clearly calling you. I feel like I'm being calling right you to now. the faith. Well, sp- you mentioned five kids earlier. Mm-hmm. Let's close with uh, you talking about your five kids. Okay. So Maria is the oldest. She's 26. Then Patrick is 18. Senior. Uh, Camille is 16. Uh, yeah, she's 16. She'll be 17. So she's a junior. And then Sean is 13. And Declan is, is 7. All very good uh, Irish Catholic names. Yeah. And yeah. Maria is our... Um, she was. We, we became foster parents. So Maria was our foster daughter. She came, she's been with us for 10 years. And she's obviously... you know. Oh, so you, you adopted when she was 16? Well, she was 15 when she came. And um, just shy of her just a few days shy of her 16th birthday so you know we we became foster parents sort of roundabout way and uh you know within a very short time she was 18 right so we've never legally adopted maria but you know we've when i tell people like is she my daughter she's my i i've you know i absolutely think of her like i think of all my children she's my daughter and we're her parents and we love her and she calls you mom and she calls, calls, she calls, dad. Mom, she calls me dad and she has an amazing you know mother in haiti that she she, she has a, a real deep connection with her haitian roots and so she's talks to her mom in haiti and she has a, um, a sister who lives here that we love and adore and but you know maria's family and, and maria's um, still here she lives in chesapeake now okay. she, gra- she graduated from cnu she's an amazing person she Overcame. She came here after the earthquake. Mm. You know, she was in the first level of ESL in high school. Maybe this, yeah. And she learned English well enough to graduate from high school, go to John Tyler, get admitted to CNU. I mean, she's it's incredible. She's amazing. And so yeah. now she's she's working at a hospital trying to figure out like what her long term path is going to be. And um, and she's doing great. And um, we're so proud of her. And she's became a U.S. citizen. That's cool. That's really All cool. you know, she graduated from college and became a U.S. citizen within a really short time frame. And we didn't get to have the big cer- um, citizenship ceremony because of COVID. You know that the, at, at like a federal or uh, courthouse. Yeah, it didn't yeah. it just was like everybody went in and kind of did this one on one, you know, meeting at an immigration office. So that was a little bit of a bummer. But, it's kind of how my son graduated high school. So one one family at a time. Yeah. yeah. But what was really cool about that, if I can digress for a second, sure. is my sisters, my sister Trish and my brother-in-law Mike came and all of the kids. And we brought a big flag down with us. 
so that when Maria came out, we could take a picture with the American flag. Well, some of these immigrant families saw us holding this flag, and they thought that we were kind of part of like this welcome <laughs> thing where they could get they could get their picture taken. Sure. So guess what we ended up doing for the next? We waited until for everybody. A while came through and got you a were picture. there all day. We took pictures of people with this big five foot by eight foot flag. All day, like not all day, but like a long time. A good 30 or 40 families, some of whom went home and came back to get the picture, bringing their relatives with them. They're so excited. And it was the coolest thing. And the person who was leading that charge was my brother-in-law, Mike, your friend. Yeah. He, he just was like all about he it. He loved it. All about loved it. Loved it. And it just was, it was just, it really made you go, wow, like this is such a huge um, blessing for these people and the, the way that they're, and it just re- made you realize like what a blessing it is for all of us. Like, yeah, we live in this amazing, you know, with no matter how frustrating it is, like this is an amazing, amazing country. It's amazing a- country. And those folks uh, that became citizens that day were very, very grateful. And guys like Mike, your brother-in-law yeah. were uh, super happy to do that that day, and and he's willing to do really hard things uh, to keep. Uh, well, Mike definitely has it. There's a that's that gives Mike has always given Mike such a purpose in his military service, and I'm and I'm sure you know that better than me. Like it for him, it's all about that freedom, and you know he's just a to me he's you know the epitome of you know what a soldier. Should be. Oh yeah, he's he's a poster guy. Um. But, yeah. So, so but then my other kids, you know, are amazing. When Maria came into our family, they were I had the three. Sean was two, and um, Patrick was seven, and Camille was six, and um, and they're they're all doing great. And you know, when we became foster parents, we really became a foster family, right? Because the kids were really on board, and what was great was that having an, an older child and younger kids, it actually gave us such, it, it was such a, such a, more of a um, receiving for us because she had such an impact on their perspective. Right. And, you know, that was very that's, much. That's a, a powerful way to grow up. To have right. Maria and the family. Right. Yeah. So, um, and then at, you know, 43, I found out that I was pregnant, which is, comes as no shock to many people I went to college with <laughs> like being the Catholic. It was just uh, one of those things. So I actually see people, you know, if you run into people that you went to school with, you haven't seen in 15, 20 years and you're pushing a baby carriage. They're just like, you can't even imagine. I only imagine like what's going through their head, you know, like, uh, you know, yeah, you were pushing a baby carriage in your mid forties. And, and in fact, somebody I went to school with, who's a doctor who I, I went to, you know, have an appointment with. And he was like, oh, yeah, I heard you adopted another kid. And I was like, what? And I'm thinking maybe he thought I was fostering another kid or, you know, it's like, no, no, I just have the one, you know, I have foster daughter. He's like, oh, no, I, I just, I heard you were adopting another kid. Somebody saw you, you know, pushing a baby. And I was like, well, I had that child. <laughs> he's like, he looks like oh your chart again. And he's like, we're like 46, right? And he's like 47. And I'm literally like with a top, I, I was almost 44. So I had a two-year-old so he was just like oh okay (laughs) that's fun stuff but that's just me you know taking a bite out of life and getting all i can out of it i mean it's just he's definitely keeping us young and so fun and you know it's one of those things where you would never 
intentionally say I'm going to have a baby in my mid 40s. But then when it happens and you're and the baby gets here safely, it's just like such a blessing. It's yeah. like it's like you can look at your kids and say, wow, you know, my kids are all going into middle school. And I, I had a moment to think about that and say, wow, I wish I, I wish I had taken the time. And it just went by so fast, and I didn't really appreciate those amazing years when they were little. Yeah. And then somebody hands you a baby. Yeah. And you get to do it. It's a great way to think about you it. You get to do it. Like, I savored every minute of his being little. And, you know, just we – and he is – as my kids like to say, how does how, – he's 84 months. <laughs> because he's – we just we just threw all good – Parenting. I mean, we just spoil him because he's so darn cute, and we're too tired to really do anything else. He's out of diapers, though. Of course, yeah. but they just basically say like we treat him like a baby, like we baby him, and that's their way of letting he, me know. Well, he's the youngest. That's what happens with with the youngest. He's the youngest, and yeah. he he walks around telling everybody, including people at like the gas station attendant, that he's a miracle child. <laughs> he's celebrating it. That's he's like, he's my mom had me when she was forty three, and I'm a miracle child. I'm like, uh, be careful uh, so yeah yeah it's good times well yeah. cool well Lars great catching up with you you too uh, we've lived in Richmond for a long time at the same time and we I think we've connected two or three times over some Mike Stockhouse I know day. we need to yeah. do something about that yeah it's all good I, I'm serious about your you and your sisters coming here and recording we'll oh just, my gosh if you would be an hour you, with the Colin Bell sisters that's you're a brave man I don't have to be here I'll just set you guys up but and let you go you wouldn't want to miss that okay I'm um, game. I think just trying to get us to not to actually have a conversation that has that another person could follow would be. I think not following is just as much would fun. Be, as following. I'd be super impressed, but yeah, we'll, we'll we'll we we argue and fight, and then we always end up with like I love you. We're gonna we're, <laughs> we're gonna do it. Awesome having you, Laura. Yeah, thanks uh, so much, Paul. It's great to to talk to you. Yeah, this is fun. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd also really appreciate if you'd rate and review us. You can find us at scodopodcast.com.